Christmas and welcome to our special Christmas edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Of course, we recognize the greatest gift ever given or received, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one from eternity past that came to earth in the flesh of a child on that Bethlehem morning that we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Maybe your joy is not too great right now due to crazy, confusing circumstances that you're facing. Maybe there's too much pain associated with this time of year. That's why Christ himself is so wonderful for us. He feels our pain. If we could just peel back the facade of all the glitter, pressure to buy gifts, and trying to please everybody right now, and focus on him. Allow his word to penetrate the dark and fearful places in your life. Today we're going to pull out of our archives some highlights with guests that I believe will help put things into perspective for you. Let's start it off with John and Beth Bryson talking about bringing balance to family traditions. You know, some of the first big decisions in marriage, especially when it's close to the holiday time, is mm-hmm. where are we going to spend the holidays? Mm-hmm. You know, yes. How are we going to divide the time mm-hmm. together? You know, <laughs> your mom doesn't really like me, I know. Or, you know, th- th- all the kind of things that we painted here are, are real issues for folks. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, very much so. In fact, we have an interesting challenge. My family is 10 hours to get to them because I grew up south of Houston. And then John is about eight hours, his family from here. And so we really put that as a huge importance, though, uh, that we want to be there every holiday. And what we do is we switch off and it works nicely. Oh, so you switch the holidays off. Mm-hmm. We do. One Thanksgiving will be the major ones. But originally in our marriage, I told Beth I'd like for my family to have Thanksgiving and Christmas, and she can have St. Patrick's Day and uh, <laughs> some of the lesser holidays. But uh, no, just kidding. We uh, Yeah, with the major holidays, we switch off. And so we'll do Thanksgiving with one family one year and Christmas with the other and then do just the opposite the next year. And it's worked pretty well for us. We know One of the things, too, it does, it can also, as you've been married for a while and the kids start getting older, it can really cause tension in your own home because you guys want to start traditions. That's right. That is very much so. And what we've started to do since our little girl is approaching five, we tend to stay home on that actual Christmas day now, and then we'll take off the day after. And that's been working out. And is your family coping with all this? They've had to cope with it. (laughs) So yeah, that's really, I think, a lot of first big step into kind of the establishment of your own family is to, as a family unit, create your own boundaries for just like you said, Byron, so that you can make your own memory as a family. And so uh, we chose the route to just kind of deal directly with that and talk directly into that and just kind of talk to my mom and dad, which in reality, it's talking to mom and mother-in-law and uh, just said, hey, you know, from this point moving forward, uh, we're going to celebrate family in the holidays. But for the actual days, we're going to create that space just for our family. Really, the key here is that you guys have to be in agreement Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm sure that in conversation, I'm just not saying that it's this way, Beth, but easily you could say, well, mom, you know, I really want to be there, but, you know, JB, is this is he's insistent that we do it this way. Sure. You know, and, and it could go the other way, too. Absolutely. So sure. you guys have to be in agreement. Is that right? That is absolutely correct, Byron. And truly, the first year that we tried this was two Christmases ago. And that morning, my phone rang, and my mom, who is really big on traditions, she said, I cannot believe you're not here. I've got the cinnamon roll ring coming out of the oven, and you're not here. And I had in that moment to be strong and just say, well, 
hope, a confident woman like we read about in Proverbs 31, that she smiles at the future and and just to be that woman. And then I think about our marriage and I truly try to put into place, she does him good, not harm all the days of her life. And I want to be that woman in Proverbs 31 to strive to be. And so as I strive to do that, I was just able to say to my mom, well, this is the decision we've made and we're going to be there tomorrow. And I can't wait to have some leftover cinnamon ring. (laughs) And and just to truly be confident and kind and thank her, but not fall into anything like that, because I have to honor him first. Save some cinnamon roll for me, Mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it's, it's just working together through that. But you need to make your intentions known, JB. Absolutely. And, and I really think it goes back to something deeper, which is the biblical mandate God gave us to leave and cleave uh, as the very genesis, literally in genesis of a marriage. And, and, and all of us want to cleave well. We want to have a rich marriage and be connected to our spouse and connected and building our own family unit. And we, we tend to blow past the leaving part of that, that it really takes a a leaving well from one's mom and dad in order to cleave to a spouse so that ironically and paradoxically we can circle back around and best love and serve our parents in their latter seasons of life. And one of the things you could do to take advantage of driving that 10 hours, you know, to see family with the kids, making sure you you spend time together. And I, mm-hmm. I was reading about that. It's so important. That might be an opportunity. Maybe as, as you travel that 10 hours, Maybe, JB, you've discovered, hey, you know, not too far, another hour away, there's a nice little resort or retreat place. Mm-hmm. Beth and I can get away. The kids can stay maybe for a day or two just for us to get away. Mm-hmm. That gives grandparents the time to have the kids. And, you know, is that a good thing? That is a good thing. And I think that's a very creative way to do that. And even as you're mentioning that, you're bringing up what I call men to do, which is to be the directional leader of their family and to think about these times and these holidays as times on, not times off. And so even in that, what you just described, it was an intentional father and an intentional husband who was pre-thinking the trip, pre-thinking opportunities to create memories, bond with his spouse, do nice things for the in-laws or the parents. It's just really calling dads and husbands to be on during the holidays, not off, and to see it as a wonderful time to build memories and to create legacy for your family. Because, you know, JB, you and I, it's easy for us to go find where are the guys hanging out. Let's grab a bowl of nachos and let's go watch the football game while, you know, and just kind of disinvolve yourself with the family and the kids while you're there. But that's not the best thing to do. No, no. But that is our typical default, you know, is just to veg on the couch and stuff ourselves with carbs and watch football endlessly and just be a big grump, you know, that everybody else has to kind of work around. Or we can choose what I call the more noble pathway. And it's one of my favorite descriptors of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, that he was a life-giving spirit. And that's really the challenge I put on myself is what does it look like for me to breathe life into my spouse, into my kids, into my in-laws? How can I maximize this holiday season to be a life-giving spirit just like Christ was? Beth, some of the things that happened too, we unfortunately family members will, will pass during the year or close to the holiday time. It makes it difficult. It changes the dynamic of family when you're trying to go, and it can actually cause you know a lot of emotion or grief and stress and, and make it even a whole different kind of challenge. That really is hard. I know John, his dad actually has had a couple of different illnesses, has had two battles with cancer and then heart surgery. And it's just um, been interesting going home and just seeing him not feeling good. And thankfully now he's doing doing better. But just when we go to his parents' house, just being courteous and then adapting to that if his dad isn't feeling well, being courteous to keep the children out of the way and just being adaptable. And I think, too, with that, it reminds me, I was thinking of this today, not to have expectations 
that has been really, really huge for me to not have expectations when I go to his parents' house or when I go to my parents' house because, interestingly enough, he's the only person in his family that lives out of town, and I'm the only child in my family of four that lives out of town. And so when we come in, for me to not just have a lot of expectations coming all that way, my sister and her life and my brothers both live there right near my parents, and that's really been big for me to just kind of die to myself and go in and just be there to serve and give instead of thinking, oh, I want y'all to all come over and drop what you're doing and come over and see me every minute. And I've just been learning to just go down there and be content and just be happy at my parents' house. And if I get to see my sister, great, but to not put so many expectations on everybody. It makes my holidays a lot better. Flexible, I guess, is the key, JB. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Being flexible and and, and really looking to serve and not be served in a very Christ-like way has really kind of changed our perspective and really kind of turned that around for us. I'd probably say the first half of our marriage, we would go with a lot of expectations. And the second half of our marriage, we've gone really asking that question, man, how can we be a life-giving spirit? How can we add value to this family? How can we create awesome memories for our kids and be flexible and adaptable? There's a great way to get your foot tapping while the Inmans sing some of your favorite Christmas tunes. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, a good will to men. Heavenly angels announced his arrival in the little town of Bethlehem. Hallelujah to the Lord, sing holy. He was born to save the world from sin. Glory to God in the highest, glory. Hallelujah to the Lord, amen. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, a good will to men. Heavenly angels announced his arrival in the little town of Bethlehem. Hallelujah to the Lord, sing holy. He was born to save the world from sin. Glory to God in the highest glory. Hallelujah to the Lord. Amen. 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 Glory to God in the highest. Angels we have heard on high, sweetly singing o'er. And the mountains in reply, echoing their joyous strain. This next part includes a seminary president, two pastors, as they discuss the significance of Christ's birth and the specific miracles that surrounded his coming to Bethlehem. Joining us is Dr. Michael Spradlin, president of Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. We'll also hear from Brian Loritz and Dr. Jerry Harmon, graduate of Mid-America and pastor in the Boston area. As we talk about the significance, let's talk about the real significance of what we're sharing about Christ's birth, the things that surrounded the uniqueness. Of, again, we've talked about, first, this is deity in flesh. God came to earth via this little baby. You know, I've been thinking a lot about the genealogy of Jesus Christ this week. One of the things that I've just been in awe of is genealogies in ancient cultures were really social maps 
Your lineage, who you came from, said a lot about what crowds you could run with. Even thinking about the Levitical priesthood, no one could really serve as a priest unless they could trace their lineage back five generations, linking it to Aaron. And yet when we look at the lineage, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he's all over the map. There's kings and there's harlots. What a great truth that you could not peg Jesus genealogically with just one side of the tracks. Jesus Christ, the fact that he comes from such a diverse genealogy, says that he can relate to all of us. That truth has really been nourishing and edifying to my soul. It's like Christ came for everyone. And I was thinking about the same thing. Think about the the women that are in that family tree there. All of them stained by sin, and yet they were part of the genealogy of Christ, which tells us a lot about why he was coming, to cleanse us of sins, to offer his grace to all. And again, the thing to me, I'm always just blown away by, honestly, Paul said, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the Mm. flesh. It's just incredible when you think about that Jesus was 100% divine, 100% man, and yet both of those natures dwelling concurrently in one person. Hmm. That is just something, I, I haven't been able to wrap my mind around it. I don't think anybody has. How does that happen? How is it that the babe in Bethlehem at the same time is upholding all things by the word of his power? That to me is just the incredible thing about the coming of Christ, the incarnation. And I love the fact that the Lord Jesus wasn't born into a wealthy family or a rich family. The Lord God didn't need human fame. He didn't need human money, resources. I guess we might think, oh gosh, we need to put Jesus in the, you know, the family of Caesar. Then the whole Roman Empire will hear word of this great birth. And the Lord didn't need any human instrumentality. I mean, he got the, the word out without that. And so it just shows you the Lord in a sense of saying, I don't need anything that humankind can offer to do my work of salvation. Something you said a moment ago, Brian, and I think this is really a great point to emphasize, is really invading the culture. That's what God did when Christ came. He invaded our culture. In the same way that we look at taking, whether it be pagan traditions and finding ways that we can connect with them to be bridges to reach people. Right. Yeah, that's definitely the the ministry and the example that, that Jesus set before us. I mean, everything about his life was was countercultural from eating and sharing meals with tax collectors and how the religious elite would just go nuts over that to who he chose to follow him. Chooses Simon the Zealot, which was their version of Al-Qaeda, and he's right next to Matthew, a tax collector. And everything about Jesus was countercultural, and yet he came to redeem it. Something that I was reading about today was those shepherds. Of course, they're the really lowly, common people. They were the disgust of the society. No one wanted to associate with shepherds. And yet, those were the guys that the angels came and gave the announcement to. Well, isn't it interesting that that they were the first ones to proclaim the good news, the Mm. gospel, those who were considered to be the outcast, the lowly. And again, that says something to us about the ministry of Jesus and what it would be. He would be to, or what it would be like, it would be to those who were socially unacceptable. The, uh, and it's interesting that Luke also brings that out, which I think is a key theme throughout the gospel of Luke, how that Jesus goes and reaches out to those that society has pretty much rejected. And we talk about the offerings of gifts that the wise men brought, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We've talked about this before with Dr. Mike, but the myrrh itself was something used for embalming. 
Dr. Mike? Well, the, some of the some of these spices were used in embalming. They were certainly very valuable. And so um, there's that idea that in some way it was preparation for his death. It could be very well that they're just bringing some very expensive things. There's a lot of speculation about all of that. Um, I, I read an article at one time that said that the gold was used by the family to provide for themselves while they lived in Egypt. Well, that's not in the Bible. It's a neat thought. Um, but uh, that, uh, you know, that that would happen. But it's not scriptural. So, but, uh, you know, you do see these these in a sense, uh, Gentile kings bowing down before the Jewish Messiah. And that's, I think, one of the great reasons that's pointed out there is that the world bows before him. He's not just coming for, for Israel or he's not just coming for the Middle East. He's coming for the world. Right. And, and, and doesn't looking at the birth narratives of Jesus, like the, the stuff they include, like women – in, a, in the genealogy, and not just women. It's not like they're going back and getting Sarah and Rebecca, these noble matriarchs. They're getting the lowest of the low, and shepherds being one of the first. I mean, to me, all this stuff you don't include if you're making it up. And so the genealogy and the birth narrative, it, it further entrenches in my own soul just the veracity and the authority of Scripture, that, that this, is, this is real. Absolutely. These, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Hanukkah is the festival of lights. The Jewish community has celebrated it for thousands of years. But did you know the event is an example of Jesus being the light of the world? Chad Holland was the former teacher of Brit Hadashah, Messianic Jewish congregation. Chad and his family now lives in Israel, where he leads a congregation there. But in this next portion, he explains the comparison of Christ and the Festival of Lights. Chad, walk us back through the Festival of Lights as we can kind of go back to that if we would, because as we are, as mentioned, celebrating Jesus, the light of the world, coming into this world this time of year as we celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah being celebrated, the Festival of Lights. You talked about that number one light being the, the candle that lit all of the lights. Mm-hmm. Sure, the Shamash uh, candle. Yeah, walk us through the celebration itself. Well, historically, you read through the book of the Maccabees. Now, this is not in the canonized Bible. We don't recognize the Maccabees as canonical authority, but it is a wonderful historical writing that we can learn some things from. Uh, in the book of the Maccabees, First and Second Maccabees, t- take us through the historical uh, story of Israel being ransacked and, and overrun, um, and a family uh, of the Maccabees revolted against that. In that revolt, they, they waged war, and they went back to Jerusalem to take over the temple again. And when they defeated Antiochus Epiphanes, the temple had been desecrated. Uh, these were godly men, the Maccabees, and they wanted to rededicate the temple and bring its purity back. Uh, and when they did so, they came across a command which was for the Ner Tamid, which is the eternal flame. Uh, it had gone out. And, it, of course, from the Torah, we, we know that the Ner Tamid is never supposed to go out. Uh, there's a special oil they had to concoct uh, by the command of the Lord. Now, was this an, a lamp or an oil that would have – or a, a flame that would have taken place in the temple? Yes, this would have been in the temple courts. The specific oil they didn't have anymore, and it took eight days to make a new batch. They had just a few drops of what was left over. They went ahead and lit it, and they prayed that the Lord would do a miracle, uh, that during the period of the lighting of the little oil they had and the eight days that it took to make new oil, that the Lord would do a miracle. And in fact, he did. He kept the oil burning for eight days, and thus the Hanukkah festival lasts for eight days, although we did mention that there's nine candles because one serves the other ones as we see Yeshua serving his, his bride. And associated with that is giving of gifts. There's giving of gifts because of the celebration. You know, the temple has come back into Jewish hands at that point. Um, there's, there's great celebration. Typically,
typically in J- Jewish tradition, there's a lot of feasting. There's a lot of present giving. There's a lot of celebration. Of course, there are a few festivals like Yom Kippur uh, and the fast of the Days of Awe that it's not so much a feast and festival. It's more of an introspection and repentance. But a lot of Jewish feasts and festivals are celebrations of God's goodness. We know that we have three harvest feasts throughout the year. You, you start with uh, Habikorim, which is first fruits, which we believe is the resurrection of the Messiah after the Passover. We move on to Shavuot, which is the early harvest, and then to Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the later harvest. And all of these talk about God's goodness. We give gifts. We give offerings, special special tithes and offerings at these days. Uh, and uh, we just want to celebrate the goodness of God. Pastor Rolando Rostro of the Iglesia Nueva Vida is a Latino congregation here in Memphis, and he joins us now and shares a little how they celebrate Christmas in his home and at his church. Rolando, you mentioned your wife, of course, Esther, and you have four boys. Take us inside the Rostro home for Christmas, special traditions, ways that you like to celebrate as a family. That's a good question, Byron. This year, we're trying to go to uh, Branson. You and I talked about that. You're giving us some good places to go visit over there. We take our kids out, Byron. Sometimes we spend it close to some family members here locally. I have two sisters here. We're together and spend some good times together like that. When I was growing up, I did not receive gifts, like I told you, just until I was an older age. And now that God has blessed us, we can give our kids more than, than what we received when we were young. But we don't. We try to give them just something they could open, something they could feel it's Christmas and whatnot. But we try to be a moderate with them and help them understand that it's about Jesus and how he loves us and try to instill in them that they should not be too materialistic in these seasons and not fall into that. And so we have a lot of good times. We play a lot of board games together. We, we play Twister. We just come together as a family and just enjoy each other's company in Christmas. And we make some hot chocolate and we make some a lot of Mexican food, of course, comes together with that. Esther does that. And we just spend a lot of good family time, turn off our phones and just be together. And even the TV goes off. And, and it's just one of those seasons that we just really look forward to, Byron. At the Iglesia Nueva Vida, how will you celebrate? How will the family there celebrate Christmas? In Iglesia Nueva Vida, what do we do, Byron? As a church now, we try to bring gifts together. We create a bank of gifts for young children, mainly targeting boys and girls and young kids. We tell the church to bring gifts over. In fact, we have a Spanish newspaper that's going to partner with us this year. They partnered with us last year to help us do that. Within the Latino community and even the friends of our of our church members, the economic challenges in these seasons. And then there's a lot of nostalgia. A lot of the Latino families tend to miss their own families and the traditions they used to have back in their countries. So you'll find that in a lot of the Latino communities, you'll find a lot of depression and nostalgia really occurring in this season because of how much they miss. They're not singing their songs, eating their foods, or being with the friends and families that they used to have. I tell our church, bring them to church. Bring them to church. We have a special service. Bring them to church and let them feel family here with us. And so, and I also tell them, bring some gifts. Let's put together some gifts for the families that are in need. And we try to be a blessing because I know when I received them how much it meant to me. I, I remember that. And so that marked my spirit as far as being generous with people in need. But it doesn't only go to the Latino community. It goes to the African-American. Wherever there's children that are in need, we will take gifts there and have them and just bless them with that. Well, as we wrap up our special edition of Mid-South Viewpoint, 
I want to thank you on behalf of our entire staff for listening not only to today's show, but to this station throughout the year. We're glad to be part of your spiritual journey and destination in Christ. As we say goodbye, I want to share an instrumental piece that I hope you'll be able to reflect on the essence of Christ in His full majesty, holiness, and worth. The piece is performed by Jonathan Chu and is called, O Holy Night, From My Family to Yours, Merry Christmas. I'm Byron Tyler.